possibly forget that do what I would, I only had the management of one end of it. So there is this realization that we are connected to each other on a profound level. What would we call that? Interdependent web of all life, something like that. And that we only ever have the management of one end of those connections. There is the realization that we rely on one another for our very survival. And that, in this passage, brings up fear, terror even, as the possibilities of all the ways another's mistake may plunge innocent me into unmerited disaster and death arise. Now that is one take on our profound connection to one another. I want to invite Deb now to offer another take. This is a scene with some similarities to Melville's as it takes place in the water, holds an element of danger, and includes a rope of sorts, in this case, a dog leash. Deb. The second reading is from Long Life Essays and Other Writings, written in 2005 by Mary Oliver. I'm walking with my dogs along the beach at a low and still lowering tide when a thrashing in the shallows catches my eye. I wade to it. In the water that is little more than ankle deep, there is a stranded goosefish. Such a grotesque body, such a funeral of a mouth, the widest gate to darkness for the size of the whole fish that you could ever imagine. Most of the goosefish, in fact, is mouth. But also, how glorious a color is each green eye, more vitally green than emeralds, than wet moss, than the leaves of violets, and shining, very much alive. I did not know what to do. One could not pick up that spiny and toothy body. Then a man came, walking along with two children, They waded out and looked at the unhappy fish. He asked me for my dog's leash, which was hanging around my shoulders, and he looped it lightly under the heavy body and with the slightest tug drew the fish up just inches and slowly, as with a fantastic footless dog, he led it into deeper water. Hurrah for that man's inventive mind and good heart. The fish, with the great mouth gaping and the green eyes opening and closing, wallowed along until it could set itself down into the water entirely. Then it slipped neatly from the loop of the leash and was gone. A different take on connection, right? For one thing, no surprise to those who may be familiar with Mary Oliver's writing, the connection extends beyond the human family to other living creatures. There was a whale in the first, but it wasn't really factored into the connections that Melville had Ishmael musing about. He was thinking exclusively about the connections between humans. Here, the non-human creature, the goosefish, is the focal point. 
Also, the connections, rather than forewarning calamity and jeopardizing free will, the fact of their connectedness, all of the creatures involved, actually provides salvation. This is not to say that there wasn't a possibility of getting hurt. One could not pick up that spiny and toothy body, says Oliver, but the man uses Oliver's dog leash to rescue the stranded goosefish from danger, leading Oliver to exclaim, hurrah for that man's inventive mind and good heart. These two offer very different, though not mutually exclusive, perspectives on our inherent interconnectedness, what Martin Luther King Jr. called the inescapable network of mutuality. And though it is dangerous to overgeneralize and to extrapolate from the gender binary, it does not escape my attention in the beginning of this Women's History Month that one of these scenes that Deb presented was written by a man and the other by a woman. I would hazard a guess that males are much more apt to be culturally conditioned into a mindset of going it alone, that males are more apt to be taught that vulnerability is weakness, that males are more likely to be trained to value freedom over collaboration and community. And I know those are broad strokes, and I am not talking about individual experiences necessarily, but rather a wider cultural picture that I feel can help me understand a little about myself and may allow me to hear perspectives that offer a greater understanding and the potential for a deeper connection with life itself. Recently, a story told by Jessica J. Williams struck me. It is part of an essay entitled Black Surrender, within the ivory tower, (coughs) excuse me, and included in a collection entitled You Are Your Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame Resilience, and the Black Experience, edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. But Williams tells about an opportunity she had to interview a group of survivalists, people who habitually prepare for the end of the world, They spoke about how they planned, she writes, what they anticipated, and why they felt it to be important to be mindful of the myriad outcomes for the future. And then someone asked the question, what would be one thing, if you could think of it, that someone needs to survive the unknown? What would be the one thing that someone needs to survive the unknown? a group of survivalists. What do you think they answered? Anyone? Each other. Wow, you are so much smarter than me. That's excellent. Williams says they barely hesitated before replying, the thing you cannot do without is people you can trust. 
And when I heard that story, I was listening to the audiobook. When I heard that answer, I was shocked. It's not a shocking answer. But I realized that there were assumptions buried within me that survival has something to do with protecting oneself from others. Not an easy thing to admit for a minister who's preaching about interconnectedness and interdependence and community all the time. But there it is. I thought for sure these survivalists, who I had also stereotyped in my head as being paranoid conspiracy theorists, were certain to answer something about supplies or structures or barriers or even weapons. And instead, they schooled me by answering, the thing you cannot do without is people you can trust. Not people who are perfect, not people you agree with, not people who bring particular skills or experience or knowledge, but people you can trust. Gabor Mate, in his most recent book, The Myth of Normal, writes, safety is not the absence of threat. It is the presence of connection. Let me say that again. Safety is not the absence of threat. It is the presence of connection. I don't always live in that awareness. I tend to pull back. I even carry the visual imagery of retreating from connection when I am in trouble. I isolate. And while I imagine myself then as less vulnerable, I am leaving myself open to the danger that comes with disconnection, the swirling thoughts, the empty self-justifications of my worst inclinations, and I have blocked access to the corrective powers of connection and community and others willing to challenge me to call my best self forward. I can interpret that monkey rope, that inherent inescapable connection to others as threatening my free will, endangering poor innocent me, or I can feel that leash around me pulling me forward, freeing me from those places where I can so easily get stuck when I am swimming it all alone. I am not saying that the fact that we are inescapably connected does not hold dangers. It does. And being made to feel vulnerable is not at all the same thing as choosing to be vulnerable with the people one trusts. But I am suggesting that treating our connectedness as an inherent threat seeing them as a challenge to one's freedom, deluding oneself that though we are tied in a single garment of destiny, as Martin Luther King Jr. put it so beautifully, carrying the delusion that one can simply cut those ties. These can all lead to the exploitation of vulnerability, the manipulation of our connections, the manufacturing of injustice and oppression that ripple painfully across the interdependent web of all existence. Whereas, to deepen connections 
as our mission states, to deepen connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy. That is another perspective, another take on interdependence. The thing you cannot do without is people you can trust. I invite you into a brief time of silence. Breathe with me. Breathe into those places where you feel vulnerable. Those places that cry out for comfort and reassurance. Breathe in peace and breathe out love as we share these moments together in community, inherently, inescapably, joyfully connected. And may the tide that is entering even now, the lip of our understanding, carry you out beyond the face of fear. May you kiss the wind, then turn from it, certain that it will love your back. And with all this water imagery today, How can I not invite you to rise in body or spirit and join in singing Blue Boat Home, number 1064 in our teal hymnal, or you may follow the words on the screen. (laughs) 